Good morning, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Real World Talks with Lourdes, Natalie, and Kathy. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. morning. Today we have a very special guest, and that is Vice Dean Diane Newman, our very own Supervisor of Career Development as well as Student Services. Good morning, Dean Newman. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for this invitation. Our pleasure. Can I mention AKA best boss ever? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I I was waiting for that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I won't go in too deep into her background, but I just want to note that um, our vice dean has several areas of expertise, and that includes diversity, emotional intelligence, human relations, leadership training, and my favorite, team building. Okay. So, um, Feistine Newman, can you share um, with us your background so our listeners know a little bit more about you? Sure. So, generally speaking, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was in college. I wasn't exactly sure. And um, I had a crush on my orientation advisor and it was like whatever he's majoring in I want to major so that that was how I chose my major and it was child development which was interesting to me until I actually had to do teaching of young children and I thought I love philosophy of education but I wasn't great with children and I realized at that time that I like an older population so the college age population was perfect for me I ended up getting a master's and doctoral degree. Um, It used to be called College Student Personnel Services. Now it's called higher ed. And then a doctoral degree also in educational administration. And to me, that fit was perfect. I I like the students. I like the energy of a college. I like everything about it. So I did that. Um, That was really a long time ago. Back in, let's say, the mid-70s to um, early 80s, I had my two children and decided to stay home for a while, which, you know, it did work out great for me because I was able eventually to re-enter, but it's very risky once you get off of your career path to take off time and lose your place. You know, a lot of other women who might have tried to do that, it's harder to get right back in especially if it's several years later. So that's where, along the way, I developed other interests, teaching, you know, the self-esteem and the communication skills. I was doing that during the years that I wasn't working full-time. Then came back to the university, and now I had kids that were, I'd say, maybe fifth grade or so. It wasn't like they were super young, but I still wanted to be around and available to them. So even though before I left, I was an associate dean in undergraduate studies, I came back as an advisor. So the reason it was important to me is that whereas early on I cared about more power and influence, when I had my children, I cared more about flexibility. And the advisor's role provided that. So I was able to do that. And then um, over the years, got promoted to be a director of student services and then an assistant dean, associate dean, and now a vice dean. And um, 
this last promotion was not only in student services, which was my stronger background, but also over the academic portion, which was a big compliment to me, given that I am pretty strong in the student services end of things. So now I'm the vice dean, and I like that. (laughs) So, Vice Dean Newman, I know that you talked a little bit about, you know, kind of like the whole of working and being a mother. And um, for our listeners who don't know Vice Dean Newman, she is a very big supporter. We say, I say AKA best boss ever, but it's also because of her guidance and motivation. Um, And she's also big for feminism and empowering women because sometimes for a lot of women, especially when now we transition from being single to becoming mothers, there's this whole thing of how do we balance it all, but more of um, kind of the growing in leadership roles. So, what advice would you give to women who want to go into leadership roles, especially in a more male-dominating type, I would say, industry or company? So that's the, the thing that you said is the most important, that they want to go into those roles. And if you want to, I, you know, I think women are very, very hard on themselves in terms of thinking they can't or the timing is not good. I don't know if I could do that. And, they just are much more critical of themselves than men would be or are. And I think there's an expression that Sheryl Sandberg uses in her book, Lean In, that I like. It's don't leave until you leave, meaning don't start projecting, oh, well, I'm going to want to have children, so I don't want to take on this response. Take on as much as you can, including getting a doctoral degree, including taking on leadership. When you have that freedom in your life, to travel and to come and to go, go for as much as you can. If it comes to a point and not everybody feels they need to be compromising their work life once they have children, but if you want to slow down at a later point, that's your choice. But, you know, certainly many men don't slow down just because they have children. So I just feel like if you want it, now I've talked to some women and they'll say, I don't want it. I don't want that level of responsibility or stress. My priority in life is not my career. And I respect choice. I don't feel like you have to push everybody to do more and be more or whatever. They might feel, I love my job just the way it is now. And I don't care if 10 years from now I'm doing the same thing. That's fine. But if you, if you look and you say, oh, look, she's a vice dean now. I, I would like to be that. I would say go for it. And please don't think you can't do it. You can do it. And it's taking that first step. When I had my master's degree, so many other people had their master's degree, were humming and hawing and thinking, should I get a doctoral? Should I not? By the time I was done, they were still humming and hawing. You just need to make yourself take that first step. Awesome. Thank you for that advice, Dean Newman. Um, I know you're um, pro-women empowerment, but you're also pro-diversity and inclusion. With everything that is going on right now, do you think we're making progress or change to promote diversity? Well, I hope that we're not all talk and no action. And I think we owe it to ourselves to take advantage of this time in the same way as the women's movement. I mean, women were suffering from all sorts of sexual harassment for decades and decades. And then it, be, it went viral, the whole Time's Up and Me Too movement, and all eyes were on this issue. 
And I'm sure that some people who weren't feminist oriented felt like, oh, they're making such a big deal about things or whatever. Well, the timing was that this is when the world was looking and paying attention and having consequences for poor behavior. I feel the same is true with Black Lives Matter. And if this is the time, if, you know, for whatever reason, not that there hasn't been injustice, social uh, and racial injustice for decades, but if this is the time that the world is more receptive, let's take action. Let's make this time count. So I, I think that at least we have people's attention right now, but I want to see action steps. So it's not just, I mean, you could, you could say just that people are getting educated and they have more awareness. That's a step forward. That wouldn't be enough for me. I don't want just awareness. I want awareness and action. Yeah, for sure. Um, and Vice Newman, so um, since you've begun working um, in the workforce since the time that you've started, um, how has organizational structures um, shifted? And that can be currently like at the chaplain school or that can be in any of your past experiences. Right. I can't tell if our experience at chaplain is unique um, to other situations, but I see in our school, I guess they call it like a flatter organization in that your access to the dean and maybe it's because of our working relationship that I don't feel uncomfortable or threatened if you wanted to go right to Dean Chang to talk about something. But years ago, that wouldn't happen. You wouldn't have somebody at a lower level jump a couple levels to have a, a private request with the dean. That would be very unusual. I see Dean Chang and even you know before him, a lot of accessibility that if you want access to the top, go for it. It's, it used to be a little stricter about you have to go through the boss or through the, the layers. Right. Um, so that's one way I see organizational change. Now, Vice Dean Newman, you talked a little bit about and really spoke true to what's going on in two different aspects, you know, just on how there was, you know, the change in women going into the workforce, right, and the whole feminism and, and how that changed into the Me Too movement. And now, obviously, with everything that has been going on these last couple of months with the injustice towards minorities, specifically African-Americans, with the Black Lives Matter movement. So, of course, you said now all of a sudden all these companies are putting all of these, I call it microscope and highlighting and saying we want to make sure that we're doing inclusivity or we want to also make sure that we are promoting and um, showing that we are also, um, how should we say, uh, building our employers who are of diverse background. Now, for those companies or leaders who may not realize the importance of it or are scared to touch on topics like that, what would you say to them? So I would include our organization. It, you know, I think that people are a little afraid and they're afraid it will get too... Um, People might get angry or it might get too emotional. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with the Me Too movement. So what? Don't be afraid. Yes, it could be awkward. It could be uncomfortable. But let's talk. Let's get things out. I just feel like this time is too valuable. So, for example, we have a big um, meeting coming up, a faculty, staff, all-inclusive meeting. And um, Nico, who you might know has taught the human relations course that I used to teach many years ago and in his course he has 
um, a section on implicit bias. He has a uh, section on microaggressions. And I told him, I said, if this material is well presented and clear and easy for people to learn, let's at least start with educating ourselves. I mean, people don't know what that means, in implicit mm -hmm. bias. People don't know what the word means, microaggressions. So let's get educated, and then let's put on our schedule, you know, two weeks from now or one month from now, we're going to meet to have a, a conversation. Now, I don't think that people want to be forced into it and pushed down, but we can make it all available, and we could schedule it. And I don't care if 10 people show up or four people show up or 15. I just feel like, let's do something. And so that would be my first step. It's not that threatening, you know, but it is an opportunity to say, this is something important. We could do better. But if we're going to be do better, let's all at least get educated. What are, what are, what are the issues? What are the what's the terminology? What are people referring to? What's offensive? What's hurtful? So I think that is a good first step. And I will be one of the first ones to happily sign up. And thank you definitely for that. Um, I ask that as well because I know that sometimes there's this fear of uncomfortable conversations. And, you know, it is an uncomfortable conversation. But I feel, and I know by seeing you and I have spoken about it, and so have the other ladies on, you know, our podcast, that we sometimes need to have these conversations, right? Um, right. Just to understand from different perspectives. And I think there's a beauty that comes out of it sometimes that we're afraid to approach that can first be kind of like eh, at the beginning. Right. right. So I have a little mixed feeling about, um, especially with, with uh, everything having to be virtual right now, mm -hmm. whether or not those conversations are easier for people to feel comfortable if they're one-on-one. -on -one. Right. Or if they feel like, there's kind of strength in numbers that, mm -hmm. you know, that, that they might be uncomfortable bringing something up, but they're glad that they're in the room to support you when you bring that up. Right. So I, you know, I think it could go either way. Sometimes I know for, for my relationship with you that you're okay being vulnerable to me and right. you could tell me exactly how you feel. And I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I don't know that you would want to share what you would share with me personally in a group so you know maybe we could give both options mm -hmm. awesome awesome well awesome. newman i know you're a mother and i know being yes. a mother can be difficult at times but of course rewarding um when your children were in school and a little bit younger how were you able to balance work and home life so as i said in the introduction i was really lucky that um, it, it was a matter of finances, that my father was very generous to me, and I was able to stay without work. I mean, I did all this part-time stuff, but it was a matter of making a couple thousand dollars a year. It wasn't like I was making significant money. But financially, because of his generosity, I was able to stay out of the workforce. And um, the book that is... Um, Oh, shoot. It's, it's called The Feminine Mistake. The Feminine Mistake says that even if you can stay out of the workforce, don't. It's a takeoff on The Feminine Mystique, which was a big groundbreaking book by Betty Friedan decades ago. But Feminine Mistake is the idea that you might walk out of a job 
and then lose your footing and not be able to, to stay on track in terms of if you really want to be promoted down the road. So I feel like I was lucky that way because I was out for several years. Um, I didn't go back until my kids were like, um, I think in eighth grade or something like that, whatever that is. So um, I didn't have tremendous sacrifices when they were younger um, because of that. And by the time they were older, they didn't really want me around so much. You know, it's like they wanted to be with their friends. <laughs> they, were, they were done with me. Yeah. So, um, so I didn't have the sacrifices, but I don't know, even though that worked out well for me and I'm so grateful that I was welcomed back at FIU and was able to kind of pick up where I left off. I think that I see it with my sister. My sister tried to do something similar and she never really was able to reenter the, the workforce. So I don't necessarily think that's a sure thing, but I would say I didn't have to make tremendous sacrifices for my, for my children. Okay. I, I, I will say this, that it wasn't until later that my daughter finally realized that I made sacrifices to my career for my children mm. by staying home, that I didn't necessarily make sacrifices, you know, to them, but for them staying home. But it all worked out. I mean, I'm perfectly happy. It's not like, oh, boy, if I hadn't taken off those years, I would have been doing so much more. I'm plenty happy with how it all worked out. Okay. So um, for me, Dean Newman, prior to me um, working at Chaplin, um, as you know, I was with Carnival Cruise Lines for several years and I was working in human resources and I really loved what I did. But my passion was really training, development, helping students get to where they are in their careers. So um, for me, I had to make a huge sacrifice at that particular point in my career um, and say, you know what, although I love human resources, my passion really is with students and higher education and training and development. So I took the leap and I started with FIU. And um, I, me, myself, I sacrificed a lot in the sense of the commute to work. So my commute was a lot longer. Mm -hmm. um, my career in HR was not done because, you know, there are HR components attached to my role within Chaplin, but to have a successful career in human resources was kind of like, okay, kind of put on a pause, and especially with a huge Fortune 500 company like Carnival. So mm -hmm. with that being said, I know that there weren't really many sacrifices in terms of, you know, your children for your career, but to get to where you were, are right now, what sacrifices would you say personally, on a more personal note, did you have to make to get to where you are? Hmm. You know, <laughs> let, let me say this. I'm happy for you that you knew what your passion was yeah. and you followed it. And that's great. Um, I think that, I think that I'm almost surprised that I love my job as much as I do. <laughs> that it's not like I knew this was going to work out this way, but it has worked out. And when you are fulfilled in your work, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. I mean, yeah. my work is so fulfilling to me and so stimulating. So when I hear people who they take vacation, they say, oh, it just wasn't long enough. It's like, after a couple of days, it's like, I'm itching to get back to work. So, you know, I think that... <sighs> my my husband is about i think nine tw ten years 
maybe 12 years older than I am. I don't even know how much, but <laughs> older. Um, and he wishes, I felt like more people do about enough work already. You know, I want to go and buy a summer home in North Carolina. And I don't want to do that. I love working. So he would perceive that our relationship is sacrificing. Mm. But the truth is, that's my choice. I, I am more fulfilled at work. And I feel lucky for that. And I wish that for everybody. I wish they had that sense of work fills me up in a positive way, not drains me in a negative way. So talking more about your fulfilling, and it's funny that you mentioned this because Feistine Newman um, and one of our good friends, Professor Margie LaBelle, I remember we had lunch together and I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask you guys a question, but don't be mad at me, right? So I asked him, I'm like, I'm not trying to age both of you, but I'm thinking about was like how, you know, even growing up, you know, and you start going into working, they tell you set up your 401k, your retirement, right? And you start thinking years, 35 years, you're thinking of this age. And then there's this perception that after you get a certain age, you're supposed to retire. And so I remember looking at them, I'm like, can I ask you a question? Like, how come you guys haven't decided to retire and just travel, wake up at 11? Who cares? And they both said the same exact thing. They like, we love what we do. The moment that we don't love what we do, then that's when, you know, we'll decide not to. Um, so kind of going back into what fulfills you, what do you feel like really and truly is like what motivates you and what kind of fulfills that little jar bucket for you while you're at work? What makes it so amazing? So, you know, one of the major things is I don't like you. I love you. I oh. love people that I work with. I love the energy. I love that we can be ourselves, that we have humor. So those relationships are very, very important to me. The sense that I can make a positive difference, whether it's in the lives of my staff or in students, that I can be in a position of influence and make things happen, that fulfills me, that motivates me, that people appreciate me. I mean, a lot of women complain as they get older, they get like invisible. And except for their relationship, maybe with their grandchildren, they don't really have a lot of identity. Well, to feel like I'm my age and I could have the influence and appreciation, that's super motivating for me. So those are the things. Plus, every, there's so much going on in our school and there's so many different things that every time I open up my email, it's like, a surprise party. <laughs> There's just more activity and it is interesting to me. I don't think of it as, oh, more problems. I think of it as, you know, things I look forward to being, to doing or contributing to. So that's really why I feel lucky is that that is more interesting to me than anything else. I do like to exercise. I like to be outdoors. I'm not happy that right now I sit in front of my computer most days, all day long, that's a little bit of a sacrifice. So I intentionally will, you know, this morning I was up, you know, out at a 6.30 in the morning walk because that's important to me. But after I do that, I don't need to keep doing that for five more hours. It's like, okay, did it. <laughs> I got my exercise. <laughs> so um, there's not much that could compete with the fulfillment I get from work. Yeah, and we hope that our listeners, especially our students or our alum that hear this, I think that's what 
career services. So as far as Natalie Lourdes and I, we try to make sure don't chase the money, don't chase just mm-hmm. the cloud of the position. What makes honestly your job the best job is loving what you do, you know? Mm-hmm. And um that feeling of, you know, not saying, oh, I gotta go back to work after vacation versus like I've been waiting to go back mm-hmm. to work is really and truly I think that when you get that aha moment that I find that right job. So that's true, but I also don't want people to feel somehow less than or pressure if they don't feel that. Of course. Maybe maybe that isn't their path in life, that maybe they're never they're going to enjoy work or they're going to learn or appreciate their but they're not necessarily going to have this passion, this love, and this enthusiasm for it. Right. I mean, you know, I look at some people the way they are in marriage. They are just so gaga, goo-goo, and so into it. And, you know, they want to share everything with their partner, and they're so happy about it. Well, I felt that way in the beginning, (laughs) but I don't still feel that way. And I see people who continue to maintain that level of enthusiasm. Well, Maybe it works for some people, and I'm happy for them if it does, but that's not who I am. And so I wish for people that they had the joy and the connection and the the pleasure that I get from work, but maybe everybody doesn't value work as much as I do in that way. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with you, Dee Newman. Like, I feel like work is just kind of like a place that I go to that just fulfills me. Um, and just seeing the students become successful and knowing that our office made that happen is just such a rewarding feeling. And it just makes me want to go to work every single day. So um, yeah, I'm really glad special. I made the decision that I did. So. so I remember the day you met me. Yes. The day you met me and you were very, I, it's like, who is this person? You were so clear. You said, this is what I want to do. I want yeah. to be in the career development office and I know I'll do a good job. And it's like, oh, hmm, okay, well, nice to meet you. But you <laughs> were on a mission and I'm so glad. And look how it worked out. How great for all of us. Yes, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. So, but thank you so much, Dean Newman, for speaking to us um, today. It's always a treat to speak to you. It doesn't feel like work. It just feels like we're talking to like, our aunt. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm, I am a big supporter of women. And so, I mean, men too, it's not like I would discriminate against men, but I particularly want to see women financially independent and strong in their own identity and believing in themselves and willing to take risks. And if you ever need a pep talk, come and see me and I'll give you that pep talk. Yes, I can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Whether you I, wanted that pep talk or not, here it comes. <laughs> I can as well, too. Funny story before we break off. Um, Dean Newman was actually my academic advisor. And I had some crazy thoughts in mind of changing and pausing. And she literally gave it to me. I'll never forget. And I was like, okay, so sign me up for my next four classes. Um, <laughs> So um, you are amazing and wonderful and definitely a motivator for women as as well for men. But yes, you guys are great. Definitely for women in saying whatever we want to do, we can do it. You know, so thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for this honor. Well, we have the honor. Yes. (laughs) So um, Dean Newman, before we break off, we're going to actually play a little quick game with you. Um, So it's called Real World Talks This or That. 
Um, and Natalie can kind of go over the um, instructions of what's going to happen for our little game. All right, Dave Newman. So I'm going to ask you about nine to 10 questions and provide mm -hmm. you two options for those questions. And you have to share with me which option you prefer more. And you'll have 10 seconds to answer each question. Are you okay. ready? I'm ready. All right. <laughs> so my first question is, do you prefer to drink Grey Goose vodka or red wine? Oh, neither. <laughs> no, this or that. You have to pick one. <laughs> All right. I guess I'll take the red wine, but I won't drink it. <laughs> what would you drink? I, I I'd rather have a milkshake myself. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Um, I don't drink. I I don't know why I don't drink. It's not even anything religious or I'm allergic or anything. I just never really developed a. I if I take this long for every question, we'll never get done here. But um, that's, that's the problem with that question is I don't drink either. All right. Your next one is, would you rather listen to Megan Trainer or John Bolton? Mm, John Bolton. Okay. <laughs> okay. Next one. Would you rather dance to Cardi B or the Beatles? The Beatles. Oh. Love the Beatles. Okay, so would you rather go rock climbing or do a dance on TikTok? I saw your moves. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that I was going to embarrass my whole generation by doing that. <laughs> um, so let's see. I guess I'd rather do a dance on TikTok. Okay. Okay, so would you rather um, wear diamonds or pearls? I'll take diamonds. Oh, diamonds are a girl's best friend. Okay. So would you rather eat lamb chops or have sea bass? Lamb chops. I knew it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So your next question is, would you rather go on a stroll or walk with Sandro or have like a chocolate snack date with Dean Angelo? Oh, my goodness. Those are really... <laughs> Tough choices. <laughs> you have to pick one. I, I would rather take the walk because um, because I could have the chocolate on my own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd rather. Okay. Take the walk. Would you rather spend eight days with Arthur on the beach, or would you rather spend ten days at work? Oh boy, that is a loaded question um, <laughs> can I this is what I just did recently can I have my eight days on the beach with Arthur with wi-fi access so I can get my little work fix in whenever I want can I yes do that? I can give you that <laughs> thank you thank you very much your last question Dean Angelo mm -hmm. is coming back here um would you rather have a lunch date with Dean Angelo or Dean Chang <laughs> this is your so, last question Dean Angelo. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Dean Chang. But uh, yes, Dean Angelo has a very special place in my heart. And we've had so many wonderful shared memories, lunches and laughs and things like that, that he's very, very important to me. And they have the cutest lunch setup. So Dean Chang will have to like step up his game and do like the little 
anti-napkin right but i will say that dean chang has been wonderful to me very very supportive and very willing for me to be myself and encouraging and i really appreciate the relationship we have and on that note is the end of our game well thank you Thank, Thank you. you so much, Dean Newman, for taking the Thank time to so speak much. with us. My pleasure. And um, anytime, call <laughs> me. <laughs> Take care, everyone. All right. Bye. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Real World Talks. And we will catch you all next week. Bye. 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 Stay safe.